Hello and welcome to Deep Dive, where each and every week we take a look at the lectionary scripture. And my name is Amy. I'm Shane. And today we're going to be talking about unity, change, and saints. So today we're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 1. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, this is the reason that I don't stop giving thanks to God for you when I remember you in my prayers. I pray the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation that makes God known to you. I pray that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the richness of God's glorious inheritance among believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working among us believers. So this Sunday was All Saints Sunday mm-hmm. for us, the day we observed All Saints here at Hillsborough. And I have to say, it might be a little bit odd, but All Saints Sunday is one of my favorite Sundays yeah. of the year because I think there's something so beautiful mm-hmm. and powerful about naming the names of the people that we have loved and lost mm-hmm. over the last year. But I think it's also an opportunity to talk about and think about how we are all connected um, in in this kingdom of God. So I was hoping maybe you could say a little bit more just about all saints as we get going. Yeah. The connectivity thing is interesting because Mm -hmm. we participated in communion this week and we often use that language around communion. That's very reflective of of the idea of both saints past, present, and in all times and all places. Um, You know, communion is supposed to be this celebration um, that's, you know, a continual celebration where we're, you know, sort of joining in that heavenly celebration with people in the past, people that we might not ever physically Mm -hmm. meet uh, because they're on the other side of the globe. I I think it's an interesting thing to, a very helpful thing to to tie to all saints, which is great. Um, In the Ephesians text we dealt with, we didn't read earlier, but the sort of preamble to this, it talks about this idea of inheritance. Yes. Um, and this is something that has been handed to us. And, it, and I think it has dual meaning. It, it can mean certainly because we make the assumption here, Ephesians is written to this primary Gentile audience that the 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 inheritance the author is talking about is this sort of rich Jewish tradition that these Gentiles have none of. and um, But now they get to sort of inherit the fruit of that, which is interesting. Uh, for us, we could say, you know, I think we, it could be fairly be interpreted that we are inheriting the tradition handed to us by people that we never knew. And, and that comes in lots of forms. It comes in, you know, church traditions. It Sometimes it comes in the form of literal, like, property. You Mm -hmm. are, you, you know, we didn't spend the, you know, millions, hundreds, you know, whatever the amount of money for all of our different churches, we didn't spend the money. And that was future generations investing in the ministry of a place. We inherit that. We inherit the, the weird quirky traditions that every church seems to have. Um, You know, we inherit the weird quirky knickknacks that decorate our buildings (laughs) for better, for worse on those sort of things. Uh, and so to me, it, I can't help but think of, you know, the verse that says, here we stand in this great cloud of witnesses, yes. uh, talking about these, you know, these people that have gone before that have showed us the way, um, and, and even conversely, I think showed us the way we shouldn't be taking at times, mm-hmm. um, particularly since at this in this moment as American Christians, we're having to grapple a lot with the fruit of some really poor uh, theological and, and ideologies about power and influence. Uh, um, so I, 
I don't know. It's a great day to sort of reflect on that. It, it's super encouraging because you get to remember the faithfulness of others. Uh, to me, it always engenders this enormous amount of thankfulness, and that's the place mm-hmm. I like to end up. Sure. Oh, <laughs> I feel absolutely. like that's, you know, my best self is in that moment of uh, gratitude and thankfulness. And so that's what it means to me. And it's important to me, too, because it's not a tradition I grew up with. It's, mm-hmm. it's very much an adopted tradition. I grew up in a church that didn't really necessarily talk about saints. And some of that had to do with probably a, a fear of Catholicism. Sure. Uh, and didn't necessarily bother to develop that theology beyond the, the more narrow Catholic definition of it. And so um, it's something I've adopted later in life. It has a lot of value to me, too, because, frankly, I, I, I get to hear stories about people I never met mm-hmm. uh, and be encouraged by that, and I think that's a real blessing to have that. Mm-hmm. So I thought one of the really interesting things that you invited people to take part in during the sermon was closing their eyes mm-hmm. and kind of imagining the past of, of mm-hmm. this church and in this place and all the things that kind of had to come together for them to yeah. be even sitting in the seat that they are in that day. Yeah. It, I, I try to be a little specific about things to imagine, yes. you know, like what, what did the, what did this church look like in the great depression? Mm-hmm. You know, what did this church look like in the midst of wars or, you know, all these sort of changes. We, we talked a little bit about the history here. Every church has its own history, obviously. And um, this one here, we're a congregation of, Two congregations that came together, and I believe 1920 was yeah, the date, something like there. that. You know, and some t- sometime in the mid 50s, ended up moving to a totally different area of, here in Nashville. Um, and sort of imagine, because I, I wanted to play with this idea, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. Mm-hmm. This language that's picked up, and which Amy had read earlier for us about seeing with the eyes of our heart. Yes. Um, and so I, I wanted them to, I wanted us to imagine of like what type of vision did it take for them to go and move to this place and, and see a different reality? Because uh, I think that's a question we should be continually engaging, and I, I think it's very easy to forget probably how difficult finding that vision was, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like mm-hmm. it came. I mean, these are all big decisions, uh, two churches merging. I mean, that's two different, you know, just whole ways of doing things colliding. How do you create one out of that? That takes a lot of godly vision to make that accomplish. And so I, I thought it was helpful from that perspective too, to, you know, to imagine something so different yet playing within that same sandbox of a spirit that's with us calling us to things. Yeah. So somehow I think you were able to manage to, at least for me, have folks be able to look back, but perhaps not even in a nostalgic way, yeah, but yeah. in really trying to be in the moment, you know, what would it have been like for these folks? And I do think it's an invitation um, at this point in the life of our church to look forward and say, you know, where, where's, where's our vision for the yeah. future? Yeah. You, you're, you're touching on something there that I've always found a little bit interesting is I think we look at like huge decisions people have made in the past and it's it's funny that like I think in the church sometimes that robs us of the power to make big decisions yes. now because it's yeah. like oh they made why would they have gone all this work if we're going to change things now? Mm-hmm. But what we're forgetting is like they, you know, they had to grapple with that same reality. They they mm-hmm. had the courage to move forward. Shouldn't that encourage us to do the same? Um, particularly with it's very interesting. We sit within a reform tradition who's saying you know a, a reform church is always in need of reformation. You know to to. The, the phrase that people have a million different iterations yes. of, but that basically reformed that, and always reforming. Yeah, yeah reformed, always reforming. <laughs> once you know, once reformed, always you know, uh, you know. I, I don't know the Latin, you know, whatever yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. you know, the French, you know. And so, um, uh, it is interesting to look at that because I look at people, previous people's courage and 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 you know, sort of acts of faith, and I think, okay, so what's our, you know, what's our act of faith now? I, I, I. 
I would think, just knowing myself, I would hate to think that, you know, we have these inflection points in our lives and the lives of churches where I would hate to think that if we made a really difficult, faithful decision now, that 30, 40 years from now, another generation would look at that and not want to do the same. Mm, right. You know, I, I think that's an interesting thing. We're, so, you know, it, it, we're not, I don't know, being willing, being willing to engage that complicated, messy process is within the vein of what the church is being asked to do. It's not, it, in many ways, it would be an insult to previous generations to not do that because mm-hmm. no one was wanting to build a time capsule. Mm-hmm. you know, when, when we do church. And I, I don't say that as a criticism now. I, I think that's more just our thought process of what the church is really supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, this is one of those passages that as you read, uh, you can just get caught in a mountain of stuff that seems disparate mm-hmm. from each other. Um, you know, there's so much sort of historical work because Ephesus was a large city. And so you got a lot of work on here about, you know, you can read, you can read for hours and hours, and hours on the temple of Artemis, which was a really big deal in Ephesus. Mm-hmm. You can read for another, you know, four hours on Ephesus as sort of this gateway to the more Eastern part of the Roman empire. Uh, you know, you can do all that sort of reading. And at some point you have to emerge from that and say, what on earth? That doesn't even get to the fact that I, I touched this in the sermon, those latter, you know, we read part of it, the 15 through 23 is one sentence right. in Greek, <laughs> you know, which is just crazy, which is you read a lot of these things, whether it's Paul or a follower of Paul, that these just long ongoing sentences, like, how do you make sense of that? Because sometimes it's just laying out just sort of raw theology. And, you know, as a preacher, you know, it, it, Certainly you teach theology in the way you preach, but a lot of what you're driving at is like, you know, what are these behavioral aspects? What are we Mm -hmm. supposed to do since Christianity is a practice? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you read things like this and you just go, man, what am I supposed to do with this? Yes. Where's this actionable? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. What's the, what's the take home point we're going to have this week? And and that, that was a little hard on this sometimes. Yeah. 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 Um, So I teach the Sunday school class where we have the opportunity to take a look at the scripture. And honestly, I think they, yeah, rightly so, just really got caught up into what they thought was just the the beauty mm. of the kind of language of the saints and the inheritance that you already touched on there, um, but just kind of the inspiration to see those who came before us. And um, I encourage them to see um, or to think about, you know, what is your place? So what is your place in that line yeah. of saints? It, it did strike me at one point in preparation for this that that word for saint, hagioi, mm-hmm. is only two times in this passage. Mm-hmm. And it's not even, within the larger context, it's not even the point is to mm-hmm. help people to find saint. It's just a given because it's, right. you know, as you, we learn from reading this, it's the most common word used to the followers the way early Christians, you know, well before the word Christian, you know, it is saint. So that's an interesting theological point. But the point of this text isn't to necessarily define saying right. it. It's sort of just a given, yep. which is a challenge of this text. I, one of the things I did find really compelling about this uh, text is to use the image of the cross itself to describe sort of like what Paul or the author here is working on. You know, the idea that this this vertical access is this idea that Jesus Christ has made peace between God and humanity. And now the horizontal access of the cross is that, you know, the Holy Spirit is enabling us to make peace across Christianity, which seems to be the big theme. I, I said that, and in, in, in you'll see in the show notes there a place where you can go and watch the sermon. I, I did want to say that, you know, I think Ephesians 
makes a lot of points, but it has like big points that it just keeps making over and over and over. And one of those is just to be united. And so this whole thing is a service of that, you know, so that horizontal axis there is, you know, Christ now, because peace has been made between God and humanity, we now have the Holy Spirit to enable us to make peace with one another. And in their context, it would have been Jews and Gentiles, which was a really big deal. But I guess we're making the assumption here that this is a primarily Gentile church by its location. Mm-hmm. And date, we date it. It's a later dated uh, among the epistles. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so kind of jumping along with that, so every week I listen to the Working Preacher podcast mm-hmm. and Joy Moore It's one of those presenters. And she talked about how, I guess it was just last year, her mom had passed away. And there was a lot of contention um, between she and some of her cousins during this time where it really could have exploded and, you know, during this really painful time in her life. Um, So this was the first time since all of that happened that she's come back around to All Saints Day. And so she kind of heard this Ephesians text and also the the Luke passage, the Sermon on the Plain, um, that accompanies this as really an invitation to see others, even who we may have disagreements with, also as As saints. saints. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I grapple with text, and I think we've talked about this before, is I'm... These these texts can do so many different things. They can be encouraging, inspiring, world-shaping, you know, all these different modes of persuasion. Um, I'm always interested in finding what's the subversive understanding Mm -hmm. of a text. Um, And some texts don't lend themselves to that. It's just, you know, you're not going to read certain psalms of just praise that are subversive, (laughs) you know. But um, And and I don't necessarily mean subversive in this big, you know, radicalizing army, you know, nothing like that. I just mean, like, what's what's the edge it's going to get that's going to gnaw on me? You know, and and so for me, this week, a lot of it just came back to that overarching theme of unity, what that meant. Because I think from a distance, it would be very easy for us to think we've solved some of those things, you Mm -hmm. know, because we we don't, you know, the language of the disunity in the Bible does not match up with the disunity that's among us. We don't have these huge Jew-Gentile differences, you know, and... um, but I, but you know, I, I don't know if you've ever heard the the phrase, you know, the Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week. Have you heard mm-hmm. that one? I you have. know that you know. So it, it, I would think anyone. I, I'd love this idea of somebody from like you know, you know, a thousand years ago being able to observe the modern church, and if somehow their brain can get a, get over the you know the just the changes <laughs> of society, the technology, all those sorts of things, but just literally see the makeup and worship of church. I can't help but think that they would be completely, utterly struck by the level of segregation within the church. You know, the, the obvious is the, obviously the racial component. Sometimes that breaks down on matters of language. We're in a Presbyterian tradition, and that's an interesting one to observe because here in the United States, we have Korean Presbyterian churches, which are part of our overall denomination, but they're segmented just as Korean-speaking. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's because there's an enormous Korean, you know, that's one of the places the Presbyterians at missionaries years ago. There's an enormous Presbyterian population, lots of immigrants here from that. That makes sense. And so th- there's that element. But there's also an element of just like certain denominations send, team to, seem to attract just certain races. And, and I talked about that in the sermon. I mean, we're Presbyterian Peace USA. We tend to be educated. That's a, that's a layer of segregation. We're one of the highest sure. educated denominations. We tend to be very wealthy. 
Um, we and we just frankly tend to be incredibly white, um, and that's super col- uh, common. I, I think there's this strange paradox that you get into a more evangelical conservative church, and you're going to see more diversity in the pews. Where you're not going to see it is in policy. You know, you're not necessarily going to see that denomination embracing a more um, inclusive policy about justice issues and things like that. You're not going to see it in the same regard in terms of leadership. Um, it, you know, it's incredibly common in the PCUSA to see a, a person of color, a man or woman uh, of color leading a church that's a completely different race from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, we definitely value it in policy. It just doesn't, it doesn't actualize into the makeup of our congregations. Um, and I really struggle with this because I, I, I've always wondered is like, you know, could someone from a blue collar background want to attend one of our churches? Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things, and, I, and I'll be honest, behind the curtain here type of thing, one of the things you'll hear, because I, I'm new to this church, I've been here mm-hmm. four years, uh, one of the things I heard a lot in interviews, they'll say things like, um, we expect very uh, rigorous and well thought out sermons because we're a highly educated congregation. And the thing I kept thinking of in something like that is, Okay, so if the only type of sermon I'm going to preach is for someone with that has like a master's level vocabulary, uh-huh. are we essentially just saying this is a church that if you are someone with a GED, don't bother coming to? Mm-hmm. You know, if you're someone working a more blue collar job, if you're working a trade, are we literally saying to these people, you know, eh, go find yourself a church that speaks your language? And that, and that that very much concerns me um, because it it seems to me that like the fundamental aspect of unity is missional. Like it's evangelical in nature. And so I, I worry, and I, and I said it pretty heavily in the sermon of yes. saying, I, <laughs> I really worry that we can say with our mouths, you know, we want everyone here, but we still have this default mode that's hard to break from. And, I, and I'm not saying that to be critical of this church in particular. This is a really large, I think, thing Presbyterian churches have to analyze. Um, about themselves and look at themselves because I, my, my previous church was very similar to this. Uh, they had the same thing. I worried about this, that just people that come from different walks of life outside of this very narrow, and if we look at the demographics of our nation, really declining mm-hmm. niche, oh, this really declining wedge niche. And so I think this is, you know, the book of Ephesians in particular, boy, it could be a really subversive um, a, a book to study for the modern church if we're really going to be serious about this idea of unity. And, and, and because they're not talking about unity here of getting along, right. they're talking about a unity, frankly, of like status, seeing people, seeing who they are reflected and how the church is led in their identity. You know, that's, that's a really big thing. We had a discussion a little bit with our music director about this, about how things like this, this impact our understanding of music, how mm-hmm. they impact who we see leading in worship. It impacts our language we use. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really concerned with that. I don't have answers for that. So my follow-up was, yeah, yeah. so what's the call to action I mean, here? I, I think the biggest call to action I could say is, like, we have to get built into our mind this, frame, this framework that, like, you know, change begins with myself. And so, like, if I were to become, you know, I, I'll use this example. We have, a, we have an enormous Kurdish population in Nashville. We're the largest, you know, in terms of uh, immigrants coming from mm-hmm. Kurdish areas of the world. Nashville's the place they came years ago. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a really big thing in local news um, because of the, the administration's decisions in Syria deeply impacting uh, the Kurdish population. So let's say I, you know, 
I have it in my heart. I want to I want to reach out to these people. So I'm going to go over to the the neighborhood over Nolensville Road where I know a lot of these individuals live. I want to have dinner there. I want to support them, let them know as as a follower of Jesus, and many of them are follow, fellow followers followers of Jesus. That you know we we want to stand beside them in solidarity. Mm-hmm. Solidarity. Mm-hmm. I know that in order to demonstrate that type of unity, to try to make us become one. I can't be the same me I've always been. Mm-hmm. And this is, I'm, I'm not talking about like selling myself. Sure, sure, it, sure. It sure. means literally like, it, I, I was talking about this with my wife the other night, because I think when we talk about change in this regard, we talk about like, well, yeah, I'll begrudgingly change. I'll make these little things. Whereas like, I, th- I think people can sense that. It, it's about, Absolutely. to me, I, I think there should be a sense of an excitement of saying like, what is it about this person that like God is so uniquely manifest in them. What could I learn from that? And it, it, and that's the place we have to get to. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, what's your gift? What's your voice? Please share it. Live, I'm going to reduce myself. We're mm-hmm. going to take on that personality. We're going to hear it. We're going to fully embody it and see what it does in our community. But I don't think we're there because we just prize comfort in this sort of really measured tone mm-hmm and really measured behavioral, mm-hmm. you know, pattern. Um, you know, I just think of a, if if all of a sudden we had an influx of individuals in our church that just loved to dance, you know, as they sang, something as minor of that could really wind people up. Mm-hmm. And 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 I'm not saying that particularly this church. I more just mean sure. generally. Right. Um, but that is an expression of their faith. You know, we're, we worship with all of our being. And I, I think it's, you know, we have to get to a place where we just say we're able to look at someone, and I'm, this is just such a narrow example, look at that and say, they seem to be understanding God. You know, and we talk about working with the Spirit as like this dance, you know, and why can't we look at that and say, man, this is a unique witness to what God is doing in their life. Let's allow that to have its full voice here. And let it change us and, and say, man, I'm excited to learn what I'm going to learn from this. Uh, until we get to that point, I don't see any hope for unity because mm-hmm. otherwise it's just about control. And control always defaults to whoever has the most power. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and in our churches, it just it means power is going to be in the people who have the money. It's going to be the people who've been there the longest. And uh, it's a hard thing to change, mm-hmm. you know. I, so you have to get to the point where you're grateful for the witness of others and how that is helping you grow. Mm-hmm. So that's a challenging message, yeah. but I think one that has, you know, the kind of the opportunity to bring mm-hmm. about some beautiful kinds of transformation for individuals and congregations and even denominations, honestly. Now's the time we do recommendations on the show. Uh, Amy, go first. Yeah, so mine's kind of a fun one. So it was recently my daughter's birthday, and she got a Kodak Printomatic, which basically is a camera that then will print off the pictures. And it's really awesome for me because all of my pictures live in my phone. <laughs> so being able to actually have something that you can hold is pretty awesome. Nice. 
uh, for me. Uh, it's a show that many people watch. I think it came out last summer, but we just finished it, my wife and I. Not for kids, uh, so make sure to watch this adult-only <laughs> adult uh, type of situation. It's called Russian Doll not on Netflix. It, it's kind of got a slow start, but it in, ends up becoming an interesting story of redemption, working out humanity and compassion, a lot of healing, dealing with a lot of past issues. Really, really, really interesting and recommend it. Um, takes a while to get going, but it's nice. It's one of these real short, I think it's only eight, nine episodes. Each one's yeah. 20 to 30 minutes. You can watch it in a night. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 highly enjoyable. Picks up speed. Uh, you gotta have a dark sense of humor to endure, mm-hmm. enjoy it, though. But I really enjoy it. Uh, from the same people who did Orange is the New Black has some of those similar sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for deep dive this week. Thank you for joining us. As always, the uh, show notes are down in there with the links to all these recommendations. Also, a link where you can check out the sermon. Otherwise, we'll check uh, back in with you every Tuesday here on Deep Dive with Shane and Amy. See ya. Bye bye.